Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Tuesday to you and yours. TJ Moe back in studio. Round of applause, everybody. TJ Moe in studio. Uh, TJ, yesterday I was looking in the chat and people said, there goes Whitlock again. He done fired TJ Moe. He's, I'm like, what? I was like, TJ will be in studio tomorrow. How long has it been since you've been on the show? Has it been that long? When you were on last week? I think I was on last week. Two weeks ago, I was, in, I was on from Dallas. You weren't on last week? I don't think I was on last week. Uh-uh. Really? Well, anyway. Anyway, TJ Moe is still uh, here with us. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic show. TJ in studio. Steve Kim uh, via remote from Los Angeles. We're going to talk about the U.S. women's national soccer team. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the running back controversy going on between Jonathan Taylor and Jim Ursay and NFL pay for running backs. And we'll also talk, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but when we talked yesterday, Mark Jackson had been demoted from ESPN. Now he's out at ESPN. And we'll ask the question uh, whether or not uh, Jackson's religious convictions or why he's out, you know, that played a role in costing him a job with the Golden State Warriors. And according to reports of Andrew Marchand, uh, Adam Silver and the NBA prefer Doris Burke and Doc Rivers over Mark Jackson. Is the NBA just cutting, you know, Mark Jackson is just too religious for the NBA. We'll have that discussion a little bit later. I'm going to open up some space for this uh, U.S. Women's National Soccer Team by taking care of one of my favorite sponsors. First, Liver Health Formula. You guys know I talk about it all the time. Been taking the stuff for nearly two years. Three, four months ago, they jumped on board as a sponsor, unsolicited by me. Couldn't give a more authentic recommendation. If you struggle with a fatty liver, if you're trying to lose weight and get in better shape, Nothing could help you more than liver health formula. Uh, with a fatty liver, you're three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We throw everything at our livers. Cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, cigarettes. That's why so many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. Now you can do something about it. Liver Health Formula, 500 botanicals that are uh, 12 clinically proven botanicals that help you reach the perfect use of your liver. It's manufactured right here in the US of A. What could be better? I can give you my own personal endorsement about its ability to help burn fat, boost your metabolism, your energy, all of that transform. Look at, 
See how big this shirt is on my car? I gotta buy new clothes. I'm losing weight at a rapid rate right now. My diet, exercise good. My liver health formula is helping. Get on board, get your free uh, bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. Try liver health formula by going to getliverhelp.com slash Jason. Claim your free bonus gift. That's getliverhelp.com slash Jason. You want to shed pounds like me? Mix this into your routine. All right, uh, let's get to this fire starter that I've cooked up, and then we'll bring Steve Kim on, and he and uh, TJ Moe will help me fan these flames. Uh, I don't feel bad rooting against the U.S. women's national soccer team in the World Cup. I'm not going to feign indifference. I want them to lose. I'm pissed that Portugal's best chance in extra time early Tuesday morning banged off the post, allowing the U.S. women's national team to advance to the knockout round via a 0-0 tie. Portugal almost ended the American nightmare. The band of Megan Rapinoe-led entitled women who struggle to respect our national anthem and lie about pay inequality. Rooting against the American nightmare is not unpatriotic. Rooting for them is. In the history of sports, no sports team or individual has needed a comeuppance more than our women's soccer team. After finishing with their second straight tie against an inferior opponent, Rapino and company preened, danced, took selfies, and celebrated like they had avenged their loss to a group of 15-year-old boys. Their post-game bravado was so unseemly Tuesday morning that Fox Sports broadcast team blasted them to my delight. Take a listen. These are not the images we should be expecting to see from a team that survived Portugal and survived to get to the round of 16. What? The I, I appreciate them taking care of the fans, but let me tell you, Carly Lloyd's butt would be back in the locker room kicking things. I have, throwing things. I have never witnessed, and just seeing these images for the first time right now on the desk, I have never witnessed something like that. There's a difference between being respectful of the fans and saying hello to your family, but to be dancing, to be smiling. I mean, the player of the match was that post. You're lucky to not be going home right now. Mm, loved it, loved it, loved it. You know, I got weird sleeping patterns, so I'm up in the middle of the night or early in the morning uh, when stuff like this is going down. Uh, should we be surprised uh, by the behavior of these young ladies? I say no. Their collective sense of entitlement and lack of gratitude created a delusion that only failure and embarrassment can correct. And I'm not sure losing to Portugal would correct anything. If they lose on Sunday to Sweden, I'm sure Rapino will figure out a way to blame sexism, systemic racism, or homophobia. The American nightmare has been 50 years in the making. The adoption of Title IX in 1972 was a plea agreement American men signed with radical feminists. We copped to a crime we didn't commit. We swallowed the lie that the patriarchy owed angry women reparations. It's not true. Men have not exploited women or denied them freedom and agency. The customs of the past reflected the harsh realities of life before men paved roads, built skyscrapers, replaced covered wagons with planes, trains, and automobiles, and made eating as simple as loading the DoorDash app. 
Man-made technological advances produce the environment and culture that allow feminists to amnesia realities of the past and guilt trip men in the present. Feminists are pimps, no different from Iceberg Slim or Andrew Tate. Feminists have turned men into street walking prostitutes who turn over the spoils of their work to their abuser. When pop star Rihanna sings, bitch better have my money, she's talking about American men. Title IX is one of the greatest hustles in the history of pimping. Iceberg Kims convinced a U.S. president and the 92nd Congress to mandate that billions of dollars be siphoned away from boys and invested in creating female jocks. It didn't matter that girls are far less likely to be interested in competitive sports or that participation in competitive sports worked against women's supernatural reproductive powers. The American government has spent 50 years and trillions of dollars creating hardcore female jocks. We owed that to women because the government previously spent billions convincing men to take an interest in competitive sports. Oh, oh wait, that, that didn't happen. The government didn't have to manufacture and bribe men to take an interest in competitive sports. It's in the nature of men. And we don't get pregnant and carry a baby inside us for nine months at a time. There are actual physical differences between men and women that explain our disparate interest in playing games. Imagine that. Imagine spending billions of dollars and 50 years to create an unbeatable women's soccer team and the players on that team using their government paid for platforms to demonize their investors. That's the women's national soccer team. That's Ray Megan Rapino. That's the group of overpaid, spoiled, and entitled women who claim they're underpaid, underappreciated, and represent a racist, homophobic, and sexist country. I, I despise them. I want them to lose. I'm delighted that Rapino played awful Tuesday morning, a few days after insinuating that she could have made a difference in the team's 1-1 tie with the Netherlands. Rapino is the ultimate pimp. She's the Andrew Tate of LGBTQ feminism. She sees herself as a force for good, a force for freedom, and proper femininity. She believes she's a threat to the establishment. She's popular. People Google her and react to the things she says. She's wealthy beyond her imagination, sexually liberated, and adored by her followers. She's a fraud. She hates America because she hates herself. Her dyed hair, rebellious persona, constant smirk, and social justice posturing are beards masking her shallowness. She's toxic. Her attitude pervades the national team. At 38, she's only on the roster to further burnish her brand. The younger players mirror the attitude of the team's biggest star. They have little interest in representing America and competing at the highest level. They want to go viral and cash in on the feminism pimp game. Don't waste a second questioning your disdain for this team in Rapino. They deserve it. We poured everything we had into their success, diminished opportunities for boys and men for their success, and they've repaid us with ingratitude. Rooting for Sweden on Sunday? That's our reparations. And that's my fire. Uh, TJ Moe.
Steve Kim. Uh, Steve Kim, welcome in from uh, Los Angeles. Steve, we'll start with you. Uh, I, I know you have expressed indifference towards this team. I'm expressing animus towards this team. Are you ready to join me in the animus towards this team? Well, I, I've always kind of been there. I just, I mean, I care, but I don't care. I mean, literally, uh, I would root for Al-Qaeda before I would this American women's soccer team. And someone said, well, what about Antifa? And I had thought about it. <laughs> they are the sports version of Antifa. So I'm like, so it's not really fair to say that, but you, you, you talk about the word gratitude to this great country of ours. They have committed the greatest sin of all, the sin of ingratitude and everything that's been given to them. And I think the other issue is that when I watch them celebrate and it's not even their political stances, which is a whole different issue. And the way they have behaved, especially uh, purple hair uh, Rapino, when she would score a goal up 9 nothing against this impoverished third world country that barely has PE classes for girls, uh, preening the way she does. The thing I'd say to myself is, good grief. These people are obnoxious. They truly are. And... Let's be honest, if that was a male athlete celebrating like that <clears throat> in any form, in any game, it would not be looked upon well. In fact, they would be castigated. So again, it's the double standard, no standard that applies. But Jason, I am with you. Now look, I'm gonna be honest about it. Fall camp for Miami started today. Training camps are starting all throughout the country. That's my focus. We all have priorities in life. But if I see a team from any other country with a higher number than our USW, whatever thing, uh, yes, I will be happy. It will actually brighten my day to see not us, they're not us, but them lose. Listen, Steve, they're going to play on Sunday against Sweden, I think, at 4 a.m. Set an alarm clock. That's probably 2 a.m. your time. I don't, maybe 1 a.m. Set an alarm clock just to hate watch. You're not going to join me in hate watching and rooting for Sweden. I think it's worth the time. I dislike them that much. I'm invested in their failure. You're <laughs> it's, it's going to, I'm going to derive great joy because I'm telling you, the way they're playing, I don't think this is fixable. I don't think they're going to be able to just flip a switch and turn it on. My God, have you been analyzing women's soccer? What have we become here? <laughs> Whitlock, I don't even know who you are. Look, when I pop in my three capsules of ZMA nightly, uh, that's for my sleep. Sleep, yes. Naswan says it's the cousin of death. I completely disagree. I'm going to recharge my batteries. I will check the score. I'll try to watch a highlight of two of a 0-0 game. Not a lot of highlights to choose from. Uh, but I, I am with you. But Jason, I think it's really interesting that I remember post-Dream Team, right around the mid-2000s, there seemed to be a growing sentiment that our NBA players were unlikable. They don't carry the American values. We don't like them. And I seem to recall a lot of fans and maybe even media members talking about how, you know what, we don't like them. They, they don't really espouse our values and they don't represent us well. You know what's funny? Those guys never protested, never hated America. They were just unorganized and probably had the wrong coach when they were losing those international tournaments before Kobe 
had the right to ship in 2008. I just find it very interesting that that group of athletes, their biggest problem was to me that they weren't the original Dream Team and they may have acted indifferently. They never once were anti-American to their credit. They didn't play very well and they were, we were getting blown out by Puerto Rico of all teams. Um, but this team here, all they do is spew anti-American agendas and there seems to be like this real uh, silent agreement with the media that we cannot be critical in any way. I give those announcers that you just showed a lot of credit. But I do wonder, though, if they were spoken to afterwards about, hey, those guys have to be off limits. Steve, I think it's the 2008 uh, Dream Team, Nightmare Team, where Allen Iverson was on it. I went and looked up. Maybe it wasn't 2000. No, no. But I went and looked up. 2008 was Kobe. 2004. Those four, yes. Yeah, 2004. Shaq wasn't on that team. I'm, I, maybe Kobe wasn't either. Are you? I don't think he uh, was on that team. No. Yeah, Kobe wasn't either. And so it was 2004. I was writing for ESPN. I went and looked up this morning uh, what I wrote about that team, and I actually defended that team. I actually defended Allen Iverson. And, and defended the, the whole, like, there was a considerable backlash. The name yeah. of the article was called The Haters Can't Handle mm -hmm. the Truth. And I broke down how, no, 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 guys, I, I get that you don't like the NBA style of play. I, I get that these guys are, are, are a bit spoiled. But we have a patriotic duty to support them. They're over there. They're trying. They're competing. And what I was arguing then, and, and it, it stands the test of time. I wrote this in 2004. I was like, Hey, man, this, the Europeans are catching up with us. Yes. That's what this is really about. This isn't about these guys not trying. This is about the Europeans catching And I analogized it to what happened in hockey in Canada when the Russians and the Eastern Europeans caught up with Canada in hockey and they played some big tournament, a best-of-seven series, or maybe it was maybe it was eight games they played or whatever. And Canada squeaked by. They got down three-one and ended up having to win the last four games or whatever. And they won them all by one goal. But Canada was in uproar and like how ripping the team. I even talked to some of the Canadian hockey players that were on that team, and and I explained how like no, the Eastern Europeans they're playing a more wide open style, a fast, and, and Canada had to beat them up and brutal. Anyway, I defended the 2004 team, and I think this women's soccer team oh. is completely a whole different story. You know, from Rapino and the, the despisal of the national anthem uh, to, to the whole little equal pay hustle thing they pulled off, the, the, the last thing I want to ask you, Steve, before I bring TJ into the conversation, we played the highlight of Rob Stone and Carly Lloyd and Fox Sports basically beating up this women's team. I got to say, I was obviously pleased, but I was shocked mm -hmm. that they hammered these guys. <laughs> and, then, and when it's Carly Lloyd, who, who's a former teammate of all these guys and part of her brand... That was pretty courageous, I thought, on her part, yeah. and I, I was surprised. 
I'm wondering if Carly Lloyd had deep-seated feelings about what was going on and she couldn't say anything. Like that uh, at Penn, that swimmer, uh, Marsha Spitz, the one that dominated everybody after transitioning and how a lot of her teammates were not allowed Leah to say Thomas, anything. Leah Thomas, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Leah Thomas. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, Marsha Spitz. Anyway, so I just wonder Bill if that Thomas. Was, yeah, Bill Thomas. I get the sense that she's had deep-seated, deep-rooted feelings about what was going on and the behavior, and then finally she just had enough and said, you know what, I, I have to make a statement here. I just look at this team. I, I, I There's nothing redeeming about them. And as you pointed out, with legislation of Title IX, things of that nature, that type of money that is put into many club programs, going to college programs in the NCAA Division I level for soccer, we should be blowing teams out. We should be blanking them. Um, it, it just it just really bothers me. By, by the way, the 2014 team had an issue going back to that. Larry Brown was the coach, wasn't he? And it was the, it was the worst fit. Yes, he was. Yeah, it, it just did. Larry Brown's a brilliant basketball mind. He was absolutely the wrong guy. But think about this, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get deep here. Think about what is going on in terms of the agendas. And we talk about what is the BLM, what are the agendas for society and the hierarchy. Think about the way black men were treated there. Highly white, liberal white women. Look at the treatment. It kind of mirrors what is the true agenda of a lot of these movements now. Uh, you hammered that point, and we'll, we'll circle back to that here in a minute when I start asking you about Mark Jackson. Uh, TJ, are, are you going to join me in hate watching uh, the women's soccer team on Sunday. I have struggled with this <laughs> because I have long thought it's our patriotic duty to root for America. But I think I am with you. I will watch it. Um, unlike Steve, I will watch it. And I will certainly hope that Megan Rapino at least doesn't get in the game. I can't stand her. Uh, uh, I want her in the game and for her to cost us the game. But anyway, go I'd ahead. I'd be fine with that. A 38-year-old <laughs> blue-haired androgynous loser I should not be the face of anything American. But I, I agree with you. It's like, do I care more about the success of America or do I care more about our conduct and how we present ourselves on an international stage? And it's certainly the second one. And our conduct is so bad. We shouldn't be the leader of anything right now. Uh, um, America's values have slid so far back out of the way that no one should aspire to have our values today. Certainly not our cultural values and what we've moved into, and certainly not what Megan Rapinoe would want us to do. And so, I, it's, you know, it's just soccer. It's, you know, once upon the time, I think the World Cup meant more, the sports on a big stage meant more, the Olympics, the 1980 Olympics, Miracle on Ice, that was a, that was a huge deal for us. I just don't think it is anymore. I think we got so many more problems. It's a, not to go Royce White on everybody, but this is a distraction. It's a distraction, but it's also a way for people to understand the points that you're making about our cultural decay and, and why uh, many of us are like, we're exactly where you, I don't want these values rewarded. It, it, it's, it's a bad long-term play for young people to have Megan Rapinoe up on a pedestal where little girls and little boys are looking up to her and thinking this is the way mm -hmm. we're supposed to behave in success. And again, there's a lot of male athletes that all of that applies to. I, I look at the NBA and NFL guys and, and, you know, this is my pet peeve. 
But again, the way everybody has tattooed their entire body, I just look at little kids thinking, hey, that's what I should do. I, I, I saw some Instagram video uh, in the past month where it was like an eight-year-old or 10-year-old boy was already fully tatted. And <laughs> one, I thought the parents are crazy, but I'm just like, I, I, I get it. They're looking at this on television from people that were celebrating and, and they're mimicking that behavior and the parents are, well, everybody else is doing, might as well go along. And you know, Jimmy, the next door, he did it or his classmate did it. I, I don't want this rewarded. And it's, I'm so deep down the battle of the sexes rabbit hole that I'm evaluating virtually everything through that lens. And, and this, what has gone on here, the amount of money and effort it took to create the world's greatest women's soccer team. And this is the payoff? And, and, and it's all ginned up and, and manufactured. There, there's, yeah, there's a handful, few more women interested in playing competitive sports but they still don't like sports the way that we do. Never will. Never will. We don't carry babies for nine months. You can't compete at the highest level while pregnant. Well, and, and it, to, to add to you, because actually that was my favorite point in your, in your mono, that this actually detracts from the purpose of womanhood, to carry babies. The longer you go and beat up your body like this, the less you are going to be a viable mother. And that's... And in fact, we've infected them with this mind virus that Serena Williams complains that, oh, men don't have to have babies. And so I, I've got to retire now in my prime to have babies. And you're like, it's the greatest thing you could possibly do, particularly with your bloodline. Somebody like you who's this athletic, this is where well, I, got a, I got a lot of criticisms for Pearl. But she tweeted out last week or the week before, female sports are feminism. And as we've pushed women down this thing, I, I've thought about this. I was actually just talking to my dad about this this weekend. Like, I want my daughter to experience. My daughter's two right now. She's, I'm obsessed with her. My favorite thing in the world. I spend hours with her every night just playing and hanging out. I want her to be able to experience sports and things as any young girl would want to do as you're figuring out life. And, you try, you know, she's starting the two-year-old gymnastics next week. And that'll be fun. I don't really want her doing sports past high school because it's time to go become a woman. And that is far more valuable than doing gymnastics. Look, I'll pay for your college. First of all, I don't want you to go to college, but I'll pay for whatever education <laughs> you need to go do what you want to do. But I just, I think we should value womanhood and none of this values anything. It's nonsense. Steve, uh, you want to jump back in here? You got any thoughts on this? I know, you, you know, me yeah. and you aren't dads, but. Just thinking about it as a young man, one of the great sports moments that I recall, and I had to watch it on tape delay as a young person growing up in Valencia, California, 1980, Lake Placid Winter Olympics. What was the story of that, of those particular games? It was our hockey team, uh, a, a group of middle-class, scrappy young men, some of them who went on to professional careers in the National Hockey League, were these decided underdogs against this Russian machine that I think had blown them out in a exhibition game about a month or two before like 10-3 at the garden i remember watching highlights of it and thinking man those ruskies are pretty good at that hockey thing so luckily i didn't really know what tape delay was i didn't get any reports i'm watching this game and it was that great line 
Uh, do you believe in miracles? Yes, from Al Michaels. And I remember the whole country being galvanized. I wasn't necessarily a hockey fan per se. It's probably like my seventh favorite sport. But I remember what a rallying cry in a moment that was. Because at that point, our country, I would say, was in a little bit of a malaise under uh, under Jimmy Carter, to be fair. Okay? But I remember all those kids were incredibly happy. Like, they were like us. They were Jimmy America. And now you fast forward to 2023 to see this band of perennial malcontents represent our country. I mean, what a contrast. It's sad because let me just say this, Jason, if you ask me that, hey, those 1980 kids, uh, those group of guys are playing at three o'clock in the morning, I'd be like, okay, I'll think about it. Um, This soccer team here, it's an old boxing joke. If they're playing soccer in my backyard, I'd close the drapes. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Steve, I want you to respond to this, and then because yeah. I, I think, well, see, I get mixed up on where I do. I have I talked to TJ on the phone about this? Have I talked to him on the show about this? Have I talked to him on Twitter Spaces about this? <laughs> so I, I, it's hard for me to remember, but, but. but now I just forgot my thought, and it, it, it has everything to do with, uh, oh, my, my contention, Steve, that Title IX and all of this investment in women is, is a guilt trip play that's being run on men and the American yeah. government, and, and we don't owe them that. And that, that's what I'm trying to snap men out of quit buying the lie that we exploited them and we owe them all this stuff and oh my god if we had just treated them fairly Brittany Griner would be as big a star as LeBron James stop it that's a lie Jason what do they say hell is uh the the hell the path to hell is paid hell is with paid good with good intentions, intentions. yes yeah, so that is title nine I understand the basic fundamental precepts of why you needed it and why it worked. I don't mind that. You know what I actually do find disgusting about it? Now they're almost forcing a a Title IX in terms of our attention that you have to actually not just watch women's sports as much as you do men. You have to pretend to enjoy it. And I'm not even doing that. I'm sorry. And, and I, there are some people in boxing or fans that hate me because I, I don't really like women's boxing all that much. There's very few fighters uh, of the female persuasion that I actually enjoy. In fact, we had one in studio yesterday, me and Mario, because I actually like her as a person. She's very bright, very amiable, and she can fight. But this whole notion that we have to now pretend to like it so that for every 20 hours of NBA basketball you watch, you have to watch 20 hours of the WNBA and then say, wow. Wow, look at those bounce passes and reverse layups. Come on. We have to be honest about this. I actually believe Title IX is needed in the sense that, yes, girls to a certain point should have the opportunity to play sports. Okay? And they did. They did. And they do. But after that, we have the right to not give a damn. We really do. That's where (laughs) I draw the line. Am I wrong for uh, this guilt trip thing? as it relates to Title IX and just overall in the culture, it's driving me crazy. We just don't owe women this debt that they say that we do. Not only do we not owe them the debt, the people who are driving them to that are doing the women a disservice. It's, look, 
I'm trying to figure out, so the ratings for the United States women's national team each year during the World Cup are actually very good, right, particularly in America. But it's not because we like women's soccer, or else women's soccer would be popular in America, and it's not. It's because we like America. So what sort of logic do you protest America and get, like right now we're, we're nearing an all-time low for people, um, people around my age have like the lowest patriotic approval in our nation's history. People my age don't like America. So you're telling me not to like America, and that's the only reason I would watch these women in the first place is because I like America. So if I don't like America, you're actually driving me away from <laughs> watching the only reason I'm watching you in the first place. And that, that's these women's team. Not to mention, half of the reason our United States women's national team is so good is because these other countries don't allow their women to play soccer or participate at all. They're all second-class mm. citizens, right? And so it's like, it's all the men everywhere get to play soccer. Are but, they second-class citizens? Are we sure about that? In some countries, they are. I mean, if, particularly based on some of the religions and things like that, you know, if you go into, I think it's, I'm, I'm unqualified to be in the yeah. territory that I am, but I think there are, you know, if a woman commits adultery, you throw acid in her face, and there, you know, there are some things we do. If you, Got to. You know, there that's are some. Wrong. But I will admit that's wrong. Yes, yes. I think there if are, we had had that history, I'd be pro Title IX, but we don't have that history. Not so that history. screw it. But I'm with, look, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm just as we go further down this route of trying to to you know this this uh, this matriarchy that we've created is worse for women. It's, it's even worse for women than it is for men. It's not good for men, right? Men have all turned into pansies and we can't, but it's actually worse for women because they're all, it's like the, the line from Tucker Carlson. Yeah, you're 55 years old and um, you know, you're, you're miserable, you don't have any kids, you're not married, but hey, at least you're assistant VP of lending, way to go, because that's what you've aspired to be. And that's what we've told, we've told women. You should try to be exactly like men, and that's going to make you the happiest. That's what we're doing with these sports, too. Destroy your body, be a 38-year-old, lesbian, blue-haired, androgynous loser, and that's where you'll get the most life satisfaction. Good luck with that. And I don't think, and I argued that, I don't think she's happy at all. I think she's one of the most fraudulent people on the planet. All of, it's all a gimmick and a beard. <clears throat> uh, and, and the, you know, the, the point that Pearl makes, you make, I'm making in terms of how, how we got here, how, how we got to the point of convincing every, and I know that pregnancy is difficult. I, I, I get it. It's difficult. Women love it, though. Ask my wife. Looking back, she loved being pregnant. She, I think she probably loved nurturing a baby and producing a baby. It's rewarding. It's no different than the love we stupidly get from playing football and winning a conference championship. That's exactly right. And, and, and it's difficult, it challenges you, and it builds a bond with you and your teammates and blah, blah. And so that bond she's building with a child while carrying a baby, I get it, but, but it is difficult. You're overweight about, for a long time. and We were talking about it this weekend, though. It's, this is why it, the, preaching this to women who have never had kids is so toxic because they don't get to experience it. My wife with my son, my son was born seven weeks early and she had to have an emergency C-section. And she still looks back at that time and was like, I loved being pregnant. I just got to feel him inside of me and I got to talk with him and bond with him at night. And I would do that again tomorrow. And she thinks back to her first pregnancy with our daughter and she's like, after we got done, so 
Haven was you know, six months old, she started talking about wanting to be pregnant again because she missed being pregnant. So there is a bond that, yeah, of course it doesn't sound good to men or women who have never done it, but there's a bond in something like God wired their brains to enjoy that. We would hate it. That men aren't wired that way. Well, I've been pregnant for some time. <laughs> <laughs> but even, look, the, the, the patience that women have with these, it's like, I love my daughter. I want to spend about an hour with her every night. And then I got to go work or something. But it's like, I'm just not wired. I don't have that sort of patience. I can't get there in her little world and, you know, make believe. But my wife can get in that world. And she can play with her for 10 hours a day. And they're wired to do that. It's just, this is the difference. But you can't tell that to an 18-year-old girl who's obsessed with soccer. Because <laughs> all she's thinking about is, well, i got to get to this championship because, well, they told me, and I'm a feminist, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I'll get celebrated in the media. I'll get written up in the newspaper, and I'll potentially be on local TV or national TV, and I can be, and everybody's telling Megan Rapino she's great, and there's, and again, everybody loves, or not everybody, but a lot of people seem to love getting attention whenever they walk into a room. I'm just a weirdo. Never, that's never been my thing. What's your line? Give me the money. <laughs> yeah, give me the money to keep the fame. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but I, I see a lot of people like Stephen A. Smith, and I'm not even saying that to disparage any of these people. Charles Barr, they love going into rooms and everybody being attracted to them and wanting to talk to them. That ain't me. But let me move on. We've, we've, we've beaten up that issue, and I'm probably in enough trouble. Uh, Steve, I want to talk about uh, Jonathan Taylor and NFL running backs once again. Uh, the Colts owner uh, is getting criticized. And I think did, did I, I requested some clips of Stephen A. Smith and Marcus Spears, I think, beating up or chiding. Uh, uh, Jim Irsay for saying anything remotely critical. I, he, he, he had a couple tweets, one where he blamed it basically on the collective bargaining agreement, what's going on with NFL running backs. They feel underpaid. Uh, their career span, their contract leverage disappears after two or three years in the NFL. Uh, and, and Irsay blamed the... CBA that they all negotiated and agreed upon. And then he also made some comments where, didn't he say, if both of us disappear? Yeah. Or, or what's he said, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. The league goes on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. And so mm. he has clearly disrespected. Disrespect. I want to hear from Stephen A. Smith and Marcus Spears back-to-back on, on them, you know, criticizing or pushing back against Jim Mercer. Being in that room, are you going to say that with the same aloofness, with the same dismissive tendencies that you exhibited on our camera? Are you going to say that with Magic Johnson and others in that room, people that don't look like you but are around, are, are part of that culture and, and entrenched in that fabric? That's number one. Number two, Mr. Irsay, I hope you're listening to this. You know, Jonathan Taylor, Ken Ball, we know that this is a brother that had, what, his 1,800 yards rushing in 2021. Um, we know what he can do with the football when he's on the field. He healthy. was second in offensive right. player of the year voting that year. D there you go. The brother is elite, okay? He produced for your franchise. I will remind you, we're not throwing shade on Andrew Luck for retiring. I mean, uh, uh, God bless him, and I hope he's well. But the point is, 
He walked away from the sport because the sport was so violent and it was just something that he was having a difficult time absorbing. You got a guy on your team that's ready to produce, that wants to go out there and play for you. He just wants to be fairly compensated. And you're basically telling him, bump him. And you're speaking with such a level of insensitivity. I would remind the owner that is Ursay, you know, sir, you had your problems, you know. You know, you've had... Mm -hmm your battles with alcohol. You've had your battles with substance abuse. You've spoken on, on those issues, those challenges. You've spoken about the issue of mental illness, okay? And there was a level of sensitivity that you implored people to have. This doesn't have anything specifically to do with an issue like that. I'm just speaking to the issue of requiring a level of sensitivity from others, yet you want to be dismissive when you want you to be You wish he showed some grace in this situation because no people question. have given him And that's all I'm trying to say. And, 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 and the fact none. that he did not do that shows me a lot about him and who he truly is. I've heard this enough. Is, Stop the tape. Stop. Oh, God. This is everything that I'm talking about. We're on a sports show. Men are playing a violent game of football, and we're talking about a level of sensitivity and grace. Uh, when I say the entire conversation has been feminized and that these men don't even realize it, they don't even realize. Jim Mercer can't say what he thinks because there's a level of sensitivity and grace that he has to show. Stephen A. doesn't realize. Stephen A is well-intentioned. I'm not trying to rip Stephen A. I'm trying to wake these people up, man. You've been feminized. Anytime Molly Clarem is jumping in, yeah, you're right. There's a level of grace. That should be a red flag. Warning, warning, warning. They've taken my balls. I sound like Molly. I'm not trying to rip Stephen A, because this is across the board. The way we talk about everything, you set a woman in the studio and they feminize the whole thing. Now, in football, we're talking about a level of sensitivity where guys used to and still do try to pound each other's brains in. Uh, Steve, Kim, TJ, help yeah, me understand. Make I'll, it make I'll sense. Start here. First of all, <laughs> Jim Ursay's past problems with substance abuse. What's that got to do with the price of tea in China? That 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 is Stephen A. Just trying to paint this guy as this evil villainous figure. The other thing is, I I'd like to think that Jim Ursay has had these hard discussions with many players about the reality of the business, and that's what professional sports is. It's a business. Now, Jason, I'll ask you a question. As someone who has ties to Indianapolis and Indiana. Do you think Peyton Manning was kind of important to the state and to that franchise? So called was Peyton Manning kind of important? Like he was yes. kind of good, right? He was kind of central to yes. what they did. He, he, I think he's got some posters on there. They probably have a little mural, maybe Manning Boulevard, a lot of eighteen jerseys. There was a harsh reality to his situation about a decade ago. They had to make a decision, and I think what Jim Irsay said was actually tough love. And I think it was his way of saying, we are all expendable in this game. Because Jason and TJ, if Peyton Manning can be jettisoned, anything can be jettisoned. Because I remember the year Peyton Manning left, and I think it was Curtis Painter was the quarterback. Guess what? The games went on. What are we upset at, at Jim Irsay for? I don't get it. I get it, but I don't understand it. Peyton Manning was great. Second best 
quarterback of his generation behind none other than Thomas Brady. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I can't figure out Stephen A. I, maybe the first part was out of context. I have no idea. Say this in front of somebody that looks like you as if you would not say the same. I, that was a different conversation, a basketball-related conversation. Okay. His comments about Jim Mercer did not pick up until 20 seconds All into right. there. Okay. So that was the first part, which is not important, it seems. Um, the, the second part, I just, you know, why do we sit here? And, and I get it. You need something to talk about on TV, and you're just filling time a lot of times. Or whatever. Obviously, here, Stephen A's just filling time talking about Jim Mercer. But why are we trying to – the guy's getting paid whatever it is, $12 bucks, or most of these guys are getting paid. That's yeah, the Jonathan Taylor's probably still on his rookie deal, so he's not there yet. So he's still under his initial contract, though. He's yeah. asking for an extension before his yes. deal is up. Mm-hmm. And these guys are getting paid millions of dollars to start. He was, you know, and as somebody who drafted him at number one overall pick in my fantasy draft last year, highly disappointed in him. Was really good in 21. That is true. But why are we arguing over how many millions of dollars somebody else is going to make? I can't stand this. It's my least favorite <laughs> thing we do in all of sports. <laughs> Disagree. What? Disagree. Why? It, it, why? Because... What seems like millions to us, based on his value to the NFL, Jonathan Taylor and the Colts, I think there's an argument that he's underpaid and the system doesn't work properly for running backs. There is a substantive, interesting conversation to have. Stephen A. and Molly Karam don't know how to do it. That's how they get to talking about sensitivity and all of that, rather than the issues surrounding the NFL in terms of the rookie pay scale, discussing that aspect, DeMora Smith bring, ushering in the rookie pay Why scale. Why should I, as an accountant who makes 50 grand a year, care about that? That's what I'm trying to mm-hmm. we have We have these fans hoodwinked into thinking that there's $3 million per year. No, 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 no. What they're arguing about, what an Indianapolis Colt fan is thinking is, is Jonathan Taylor going to be happy and lay it on the line for us this year, or is he going to be angry about his contract and feign a back injury. You know, this all started with he showed up to camp with back issues, and now he said maybe he doesn't have back issues. And so the conversation for a fan is like, is Jonathan Taylor all in with us, or is this issue with NFL contracts and Jim Mersey and the rookie pay scale and how running backs are paid, is that going to affect his performance and availability? That's why it's interesting. God, I, I'm not even saying it's not interesting. I think it's foolish for us to be engaging in it. Again, over millions of dollars, and I know there's a world I don't know about. I'm not interested in how much money he's making. Particularly, You are interested in whether he's making enough money for him to perform at his highest level as a Colts fan. I am. I think, I think the conversation that I would have, and I, you probably have a better answer, there's a little bit of a test case happening right now with Christian McCaffrey. Who's the last running back that switched teams? that performed just as well or better with the next team. Hmm. You, you just gave the answer to that, Christian McCaffrey. Right? He hasn't done it yet. He did it for part of a year. We'll yeah. see. He's, mm-hmm. he's a test case for this. We'll see. Prior to that, Marshall Falk? Marshall Falk was 20 years ago. What, what I'm getting at is... R.J. Simpson didn't with the 49ers. No. I can tell <laughs> you that. Are about running him. backs... Like, the, the question... Jim Irsay could be, and you wouldn't want to do this to a guy. This is this is this is like the problem with baseball arbitration. You got to go in there and tell your players how much they suck, and right. Um, you, Jim Irsay wouldn't say this, but the reality is, running backs are system people. They work really well 
in individual places, and then they get out over their skis, think they can do it somewhere else, and then they suck. So are they actually worth that? Because I don't care about the three to five million dollars more that they want. 12 million versus 14 million doesn't affect my life at all. I can't think, we'll see if Christian McCaffrey is this guy. And if he is, he's the outlier. But virtually every other running back that switched teams sucks the next year. Eric Dickerson, that's Eric long Dickerson. ago. Yeah, had some big years actually led Adrian to- Adrian Peterson, the Adrian Peterson. Uh, mm. So there's not many. Marcus Allen was very good with the Chiefs. That's a long time ago. I mean, Marshall Falk, as a Rams fan, yeah. was much better once he got into the greatest show on turf with Mike Martz and, and Dick Vermeil. But there's so few and far between, and there are five. Some would say Bruce Jenner when, when he switched teams. That's a good uh, point. Caitlyn Jenner, ESPY Award winner. So I'm There are there. five running backs a year who think they are criminally underpaid, and the reality is maybe there's one per generation that could switch teams and do anything like he's been doing. Yeah. So to me, that's the conversation, not is it worth two or three more million dollars. Priest Holmes. Anyway, Steve, you got you, you have you have anything else? Yeah, well, TJ, if you hate On the money talk of, of fans living vicariously through their favorite athletes, uh, you would hate covering boxing because we have a group of fans that act like they're <laughs> Bundini Brown or part of <laughs> part of the team camp. I'm serious. I have to deal with this a lot. Uh, but there is a collectivism that exists, and a lot of this is cultural. And, you know, look, I hope that Jonathan Taylor finds a resolution. I hope he gets his just desserts because, you know, look, I don't hate these guys at all. I enjoy what they do for a living. But you are right, TJ, in a sense that why should the average American uh, really care that much about a guy making eight figures or seven figures? I, I think that's an unbelievable point that people do not realize. Like a lot of people are now saying, oh, my God. It's terrible for the writers and actors to be on strike. And I see them doing their picket signs when I go to Universal to tape my show with Mario. And I'm thinking, you know, poor people, they got bills to pay. But you know what, though? A lot of these people look down on the average regu regular people. No one tells them to go learn coding. You know, we got we to gotta have perspective about this, that you're right. I feel much more sympathy for the guys that got laid off at the steel plant, the steel worker, digging ditches, going into the coal mine than those people. So that, that, that is the thing. It is interesting. We've got to have a perspective of, yeah, you can have some empathy for Jonathan Taylor, but do we truly care down to our soul about what Jonathan Taylor or what any running back makes as his salary? Well, and I hear y'all, but, but as a fantasy football owner, TJ Moe, yeah. drafting Jonathan Taylor this year, whether or not he's being paid at a level that's going to make him perform at his highest level matters. That's why people care and why the discussion is worth having. I just don't want to hear about, oh, well, that's insensitive. He said the truth. He said what yeah. he really thought. I think There's guys, a level of sensitivity and grace you have to have. I think guys perform worse after they get paid oftentimes. It's like, I don't want anybody to get paid. Go, go think you got a chip on your shoulder and you got to earn it That's a whole different else. discussion. I, I mean, I'm just truly, I, I hate talking about the money with these people at all. I want good players on my team. You guys work it all out. Who's coming out there on Sunday? That's who I'll watch. Play Marcus Spears. Let's see if that triggers me as much. This is when we get into a conversation about how you do things, right? Mm -hmm. Like we all know the running backs are, are quote unquote being disrespected. We all know how they're looked upon in the NFL right now. But when you 
like, let's think about a relationship like this, right? Like we, we, we've been working together and we've been having, having success together, or I've been one of the only bright spots within the organization, at least tell me in private, mm -hmm. I'll have more respect for you. If you tell me, but, but the way Jim Ursay did this, it's not about what he said. It's the way he did this. And it's who he said it to the whole world, mm -hmm. basically saying that Jonathan Taylor, it don't matter. Like, like his value ain't what he think it is. His, and, and it really don't matter if he here or not, because we going to go on without him. And for you to make a statement like that, with somebody that you, you, we know you're the owner, but you would like to think that we have some sort of working relationship. The disrespect was at an all time high. And Ursay know damn well he wrong for what he said. Hmm. hmm. Wrong for what he said. For telling another man, a grown man, hey, look, the world's going to keep moving on without you or me. That's something my dad, every coach that I ever played for, has said, it's said out of love and respect. The other part, disrespect. Mm -hmm. Black men have been sacrificing their lives and taking lives over disrespect, perceived disrespect. And, and Marcus Spears, unbeknown, I'm sure Marcus Spears is well-intentioned, don't think he's, he's but he, he has no idea what he's doing, what he's justifying. People's, what they say on TV for a lot of these guys is not connected to a foundational worldview that leads to success. They're just filling time and saying the last thing they heard on Twitter and reflecting a culture that's negative and doesn't lead to success. It's not connected to anything of substance. And so that's why disrespect and everybody, and he knows that's a trigger word and oh my God, someone stepped on my shoes, they disrespected me. Oh my God, they didn't apologize, they disrespected. And people are pulling out guns and shooting each other over disrespect, don't, dis is a big deal. It's really not if you have a worldview that's connected to something larger than whatever's popular in the culture. I suggest to everyone a biblical worldview, but do you do whatever you're comfortable with, uh, Marcus. The, the other thing he mentioned about relationship and how you do things. And, and, and uh, you know, I prefer they do it in private. <clears throat> Gentlemen, does that not sound like every argument you've ever had with your wife or girlfriend? Does she not play that card? Or maybe you've been so feminized yeah. that you play that card as well. Oh my God, it, it, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. <laughs> That's, baby, if you just said it this way, blah, blah. And, and you know what? I'm willing to play that game with women. It's necessary. They have a sweet, magical spot that, that like, okay, I gotta play this game, I gotta worry about how I said it and what way I said it and blah, 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 or I'm not going to get access. I, I get all of that, but this is men playing football. There's a way that we as men should be able to engage and interact with each other where we throw all this feminine garbage out the window. Anytime you got Molly mm-hming you in the back, 
You need to reevaluate what you're saying. I get it, but you know why he does? Because Molly's in the room and he wants her to, mm mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm speaking in generalities, not specifics. I don't know. I just know how men operate. And even, and I'm not trying to disparage Marcus or his marriage or whatever's going on in his family. But, But what men always do, particularly those not connected to any biblical worldview or spiritual worldview is like, they want to keep their options open with every woman they find attractive. And so they're going to say things to play. Molly Quirm is very attractive. Men are going to get an environment with her and make sure they don't go too far just in case she wants to give them a sympathy bang at some point. I'm just keeping her. I'm sorry for keeping it that real, but that's how men think and operate in the secular world, in the TV world. I know it. I've experienced it. I know it. And so that, that's what you put an attractive woman on a set and guys start talking differently because hey, she may lose her mind one day and I may get lucky. I don't want her to hate me. She hates Whitlock. He ain't never getting none of that because he keeps it too real. That, that's what and, and that's what I don't have to play that game. Uh, Steve, you got anything to say about Marcus yeah. Spears? Were, were you, did you feel disrespected? <laughs> yeah, well, I just wonder about that spot. Does it, you know, begin with the letter G? But anyway, the thing I actually think Marcus has a point. Maybe that comment or statement by Ursay should have been made in private. But in listening to what Ursay said to those reporters, the tone in which he said it, I thought it was almost fatherly. It's like basically saying, "Son, this world is tough. There are fundamental rules and regulations that we play under." But eventually, it will always move on. No one will feel sorry for you. And I, I truly believe, I've, or I've heard Jonathan Taylor speak. He's a very intelligent guy. This guy's going to be okay with or without football, okay? He didn't need football to get to college. He really didn't. He just probably would have had to pay for it. But anyway, if you would have said it in the exact same tone, based on what I think and know about Jonathan Taylor, I think Taylor would have nodded his head. He may have not liked it, but I think in his own mind what he said, okay, I hate this. I don't like it, but point taken. Uh, I want the audience to, one, start hitting the likes, the five-star reviews. The, the, I, I, I'm sorry. This is self-aggrandizing. But I'm t- what I'm giving you today and to the way to evaluate and look at and just nailing down. I say some of this stuff all the time, but I'm giving you real-time examples of how we're being feminized and we don't even know it. We don't even realize it. These guys have no clue what they're doing. And and many of us are watching it and we can't understand what's happening. But this is why they have dropped women into every discussion men have. They want us talking like women. And, and they don't want us, and this all connects to, and Steve, we're not gonna get to, uh, we're not gonna get to talking about Mark Jackson. I'm gonna let you go. Thank you, brother, and I'll see you later this week. Hey, Steve. But, but I, I want, this is connected to the conversation we were having about the U.S. women's soccer team. And, and just how they're turning this whole world upside down and turning it into this, feminist Olympics and and how 
it's moving us away from what made the country great. Men doing high risk things and women playing the role that they were intended to play. And that before all the technological advances, they had no other options. They didn't want to be roughnecks climbing on the top of skyscrapers and falling to their death. And so what we're witnessing is all of the, this entire conversation. And I didn't know it because I'm watching these clips from Stephen A. and, and Marcus Spears in real time. But, but it's all connected. We're being feminized at every turn. And, and we're going to pay the price for it because men doing dangerous things and not worried about whether or not someone's feelings were hurt or whether they were insensitive. We used to say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. We used to think like that and act like that. And we used to have rough conversations and iron used to sharpen iron. And now, Stephen A. Smith, on the worldwide leader in sports, should be a man's domain. It's a, oh, that was so insensitive. And Marcus Spears, and you know, in a relationship, it's how you say it. It's not how it's said. And you got to say it this way. And, oh, that hurt my feelings. And I feel disrespected. And everybody's tapping into their fem female side. And then it plays out. You have no emotional control. And so you turn violent. Because you have no more. You're still a man. You still have some testosterone in you. And, and now that you've been feminized and turned into a woman and, 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 and you have no control over your emotions and you've been programmed in a way, any disrespect warrants an emotional response. These things are all connected. They're not. Marcus, uh, Stephen A., I, I know you guys don't like me and, and think that I'm out to get you. I'm not out to get you. I'm trying to wake you up. Don't go. Your sons are going to pay a major price for this feminization of all of us. Your brothers, your nephews, someone in your family, you. Mark Jackson just paid the price. He got off for no reason other than his religious convictions. Because they're running all real men out. And perhaps that's why you guys are acting like women and just going along to get along. Because you don't, as long as the check clears, you'll bend over and do whatever's necessary to survive. Maybe that's it. Uh, that's all I got for today's show. Uh, great job, Steve, TJ. Uh, we'll keep it moving. And tomorrow, I can already tell you, tomorrow's show, we're going to be back on this manhood uh, topic because we're going to talk about uh, Andrew Tate, whether he's a force for good or a force for bad, uh, whether his form of masculinity works or is proper. Uh, we'll do all that tomorrow, and we'll play tomorrow.
and we'll see you tomorrow. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on a corner, never been alone. I'll break my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be. I just want, I want to be. I just want, I want to be. I just want.